LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Wednesday morning, the 7th of September. Good morning. With much debate and discussion from now till 11am, this is Michael Reed on LMFM. School transport is not something that the state has ever provided flawlessly but this year the scheme is an unprecedented disaster. The cost of living crisis as you know prompted the Minister for Education to waive the fee worth about €500 a year for seats on buses. What Norma Foley didn't anticipate was a record 130,000 applications for places. 9,000 children have not been accepted and as you heard yesterday Minister Norma Foley has refused to meet with the Oireachtas Education Committee to discuss this crisis. Now you might say Norma Foley's intentions were good but the Minister has fallen victim to an unintended consequence but unintended consequence or otherwise it is an unholy mess but just because the minister created this unholy mess. Is it fair to blame Norma Foley on the mess? The applications that are still being processed at at this moment in time as speedily as possible. Now, to be fair to to Norma, she has already uh, agreed a date of the 12th of October to appear before the committee. She will be in the doll, as all of us will, um, you know, from the week after next to take questions and to engage in any parliamentary debate. I think for most of the parents, what they want to make sure is that they get the ticket. That's the Minister for Housing, Darrell O'Brien, speaking to Highland Radio yesterday, defending his party colleague and cabinet colleague, the Minister for Education, Norma Foley. But it is a crisis that people are struggling to come to terms with, let alone find solutions for. It's such a bad situation in Anagassan that parents yesterday staged a protest. We were told about this by Finnegale Councillor Paula Butterley, who's on the line. And a very good morning to you, Paula. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. Uh, give us an overview of uh, the situation in Anagassan, if you would, please. Yeah, good morning, Michael. Good morning to your listeners. I suppose yesterday morning you had parents down at Anagassan protesting, and I believe they'll continue to protest out of the sheer frustration of not being able to get seats for their kids on the secondary school bus. Um, Anagassan, while it is, you know, they're highlighting the issue. This is an issue across Dunlear, Cullen, Dramin, Darver, Castle, Bellingham. And, you know, we're talking about an already stressful time for parents and it's been exasperated by the situation of having no seats on buses. Um, I believe you have parents on online this morning as well, Michael, who'll be able to explain clearly. But my understanding as well is that there are places on these buses. So effectively, if you take the kids off the bus, the bus is going to drive into Dundalk empty. So, you know, that's clearly going to to add more stress and more frustration to the parents as they see an empty bus driving into Dundalk while they drive behind the bus. 
Oh, am I right in thinking there's 17 children uh, in uh, who would be getting the bus in Anagassan who've been told there isn't a place for them? Correct and right, Michael. 17 children, 17 parents who are struggling to, you know, combine getting to work and getting their children out to school. Okay, let's hear from some of those parents. As you say, uh, a number of people have uh, agreed to speak to us uh, this morning. Mary Kennedy, good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. You're trying to get two girls to Dundalk. Good morning, Michael. And yes, thanks for giving me the opportunity to chat with you. Yeah, I have two girls who are travelling from Anagasin out to the Louis in Dundalk, which is approximately 19 kilometres away from us. So one is going into fifth year and the other is going into third year or is in third year. But over the last seven years between my son and my two daughters, we've always had difficulty with bus bus ticket allocation in Anagasin. In previous years, and after an in, always an initial refusal, and toing and froing with bus air and then lo- local representatives, we would eventually be granted a school bus seat on a concessionary basis just before the kids would all start back to school. But this year, it's been quite different. We got notification a week after they started back at the school to say, in no way were we going to uh, get a bus seat. Um, and... To date, I've ex- I, like, I'm shocked and frustrated because all the avenues that was explored through engagement with Bus Erin, well, the, the trying to engage with Bus Erin and with our local representatives, it has actually led me to you. So with regards to other options for, for our kids, mm. um, there is a local uh, public bus. It, because my girls are in the Louis, it would mean that they would have to go to the square, to the bus station in the dock and then a connecting bus out to the Louis. Uh, this will not get them into school on time, unfortunately. And then coming back the way they'd have to come back to the square or to the bus station and home again. And with the evenings getting shorter, it poses a potential safety risk for them out at the school and back in at the square until they get home. Yeah. Like even this morning, Michael, we can't understand what the what the issue is with providing more capacity because we've put our kids on the bus this morning, and they all had a seat. Right. Granted, there was no seats available when they got into Dundalk, but they had picked up all the kids on the way into Dundalk. Right. We're at and we're just. Okay. where the issue is. Just, just, just back up a bit there, Mary, uh, because I thought we were talking to you because your uh, children couldn't get uh, a seat on the bus, but they were on the bus this morning. What's going on? Yeah, no, they, they're, we're putting them on the bus. Yeah. There are seats on the bus. Uh, and the, dri- the, the, the driver doesn't mind. It's when the inspector comes along or is it if it's a different driver or where, where, yeah. where, where's the problem in this? They obviously don't have tickets anyway. No, they don't have tickets and there are two buses in Anigasen and there's inconsistency between both buses because one bus driver is saying no ticket, no seat and the other bus driver is letting the kids on. So last week in Dundalk, the bus inspector got on and told all the kids without a ticket do not attempt to come on the bus the following day. We put them on the bus because we have no alternative option here but to put them on the bus. Right, okay. Um, what did you think about what Darrow O'Brien was saying? Uh, the Minister won't go to the Oireachtas Committee on Education to discuss this because this isn't unique to Anna Gasson. There's 9,000 children across the country in this 
state of despair. Uh, 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 it's an unholy mess. Uh, Daryl Bryan said, no, well, she has refused to. She will be in the doll. The doll r- resumes next week uh, and she may or may not be taking questions on this, but certainly not in the same way that she would at committee level. And he said uh, she'll be before the committee on the 12th of October. Yeah, I mean, the 12th of October is, in, is more than four weeks away now. And we have kids every night and every morning worried whether they will be able to get on the bus or not. Kids thinking, I don't want to be the one put off this bus. But the engagement between Norma and her team, Bus Air, Norma and her colleagues, Bus Air, and even down to the local representatives, is disjointed at best. And we don't believe that there is, as parents, we don't believe that there's one person knows the full extent of what's going on here. And sadly, it seems that the people in authority don't even want to know if she's not coming to talk to people, talk to the to the people that matter until the 12th of October. Okay. So where do we go if there's no communication, there's no progress, Michael? OK, Mary, uh, you're appealing for help. Uh, I implore them to get around a table and please talk to help every parent, not only on our school bus route, but in every county around the country. It's not fair. Okay, I think Shamie Cosgrove is also uh, imploring people uh, to hear his uh, appeal for help. Good morning to you, Shamie. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, You have a son and a daughter that you're trying to get to Dundalk every day. Yeah, good morning, Michael. Um, I'd just like to reiterate what Paula and uh, Mary were saying there and highlight that this isn't a a new issue. This is ongoing every year um, every year we, we wait until the last minute and then maybe we get a concessionary ticket um, this has obviously been exacerbated by um, offering the free service so then obviously more people are going to want that service I think that's pretty obvious when you're setting up something for free there's going to be more people who want the service and I think rightfully so people want to, want to get the, the free service we're now in a situation where you know, you have a, a free service, but you can't actually get it. Um, you know, you're denying the kids the right to get to school um, or get to school on time if they're going to be changing buses and stuff. Um, it's clear that there's a lot of stresses on parents trying to get children back to school. It's clear there's stresses on children, especially children who are going to be doing exams this year. Um, my daughter, <coughs> excuse me, is doing the junior cycle this year. Um, I have a son just starting secondary school and getting a getting an email at a quarter to nine on a Friday night before um, going back to school to say that we're not getting school tickets. I think it's uh, it's outrageous. Um, I think in terms of planning, surely you know you know there's a there's a need there. You know there's the amount of children we fill a census mm. in every year. We know how many children there are in every parish, um, mm. and we mm. know what the need in terms of the services. So, mm. There's people looking um, at the demographics of uh, the country uh, on an ongoing basis, uh, and they do a very go- and they do a very good job, and they're advising government on it uh, and all of. Uh, that sort of thing. Uh, But uh, I think we're talking about the people uh, who are responsible for the education of our children who haven't done their basic prep. Uh, Absolutely. And then, you know, you have children who are, um, you know, they have enough stress in their life they don't need, uh, you know, wondering whether or not they're going to be thrown off a bus when inspectors are coming on and and telling them that they're not getting a they don't have a ticket to not getting on. Clearly there's a need for the service because mm. otherwise they wouldn't run a bus from Anagasson and I'm sure it's the same throughout the country. Mm. Um, if there's a service there to run buses, it should be open to all. If there's not enough buses, surely you can change that. Mm. It's not a, a, you know, the problem is clear, the answers are clear. 
Um, there seems to be enough space on the bus for the children that's, uh, that's there. So uh, I don't understand. That's the why weird thing. We, we heard that in Bective uh, yesterday as well. But um, listen till I, I tell you, your son has only started in secondary schools this year, so the, it wasn't a foregone conclusion that he was going to get a, a ticket. You were hoping for the best, but you would have been fairly confident because your daughter is older and she was always getting a ticket, wasn't she? Yeah, again, it's uh, like Mary mentioned, it's a, it was a last minute thing. Um, you always get your tickets, but you get them last minute. So there's the stress involved in, in waiting to the last minute to get a ticket. Um, and this year, obviously, it's uh, it's extended out into not getting a ticket. And then, you know, I suppose I'd, I'd have to mention that uh, the community in, in Anagasson and, and the Toker area are great for, uh, for supporting the people who are, you know, not getting the service. Um, clearly, they've been affected previously. Um, they might be affected next year. So, you know, whatever solution has to be put in place needs to be put in place now. We can't wait. Uh, you know, ultimately, Norma Foley is in charge of this. Um, ultimately, she has to uh, come up with the answers. And the answer is clear that either they put on more buses and sort that out or, you know, let the children on and get to school on time because it's, you know, mm. what, what are the alternatives is put them on a, on a bus so they're going to be late or other alternative is to get more and more um, cars on the road yeah. and obviously there's, there's other effects in that in terms of you know climate change emissions etc etc and um, people trying to do a day's work you know you, you, by the time you get your children into school and then you have to go and collect them at the other end you, you just can't hold down a a job like that and therefore that's going to affect everything okay. and, and you're talking about 17 children in Anagasson well it's not too hard to build that out to think, you know, on average you're looking at maybe 100 children in, in County Louth and, yeah. and maybe throughout the country. That's, that builds up to 2,600 uh, parents who are affected and that's, uh, that's what, 1% of the workforce in Ireland. That's, that's yeah. a lot of people who are affected and I think maybe from an electorate point of view, maybe, maybe that might encourage Norma to uh, take a run into the, the committee and have a have a few answers for the parents who are struggling to manage it. Okay, well, all we can do is offer you this platform, which we're doing uh, this morning, uh, to have your say as such, uh, and you're appealing for help, like Mary Shamey. Absolutely. It's, uh, mm. you know, it's, it's got to the stage. Uh, Paul is helping us along, and mm. Mary's doing a lot of work, and a lot of the people around the uh, the parish are doing a lot of work in terms of support and whatever. But it shouldn't have to come to this. You know, no. clearly mm. the service is needed. Clearly the service has been provided. Um, it's just not been provided for everyone and it should okay. be there and it should be there for everyone. Otherwise, you know, we can't leave one child behind and we keep protesting until all the children are sorted out because, you know, next year it could be, you know, some other children who might be affected. So okay. um, this isn't going away. Okay. Well, uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot more, Shamie. Thank you for that. Let's go uh, to Toker next. And Daisy Matthews, good morning to you, Daisy, and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, There actually isn't a bus that travels from Toker to Dundalk, uh, but uh, your son has been on the bus from Anagassan for the last four or five years. Good morning, Michael. Yes, and thank you for giving us the opportunity to air this problem. Yes, my son is in fifth year and he travels in every morning and like uh, Shamie, uh, Paula and Mary have said, we have had troubles in the past in the sense it's always last minute. We, you know, we're always waiting for the dreaded email. We're checking the portal. It's actually very stressful for parents. Um, I travel to Dublin. I work in a Dublin City Hospital, so I have to be gone from my house at six in the morning. So obviously I'm unable to get my children to school, you know, at that time. So... 
it is very stressful mm. and uh, my husband leaves very early as well. Mm, so it's, it's really the middle of the night, isn't it, when you're leaving at six o'clock in the morning? Yeah, yeah. yeah and it's a long day. Mm. So mm. we even uh, carpool to get the children to, to the bus, you know what yeah. I mean? So we're working as a community. That's the one thing I'd say about... There's three Dundas families, is there, that go from Toger to yeah. Anagassan uh, to the yeah. bus stop to get the bus into Dundalk? Yeah, and we take yeah. it. Mm. And we work as a community. It's a really good, you know, and to all the other uh, families that are in our group, everybody's been really supportive because I must say the people that are struck are hardest is the children in all of this. Mm. And I suppose one of the hardest things was to hear the other morning that a bus conductor got on and asked them, you know, it's very threatening for young, especially first or second years. My son is in the fifth, you know, in fifth year, so he's been on a little while. Mm. He's probably, you know, a little bit older and has a bit more, you know, but it's actually very, so some of them are very stressed about getting on the bus and I can appreciate it. So, Like what, what you're telling us though, Daisy, is that in an ideal circumstance for you, the rest of us are going, holy God, how do you do it? You know what I mean? You're out of the house at six o'clock trying to get down to Anagassan and the bus uh, and so on. But um, if your son doesn't have a seat on the bus now, what does that mean for you? Well, that means that somebody will have to go into Dundalk and all our other families, like we take it, I, I don't, I work three days in Dublin. Yeah. So I then work it for the two days that I'm not. So all of the, the, the guys that carpool with us, the families, they work as well. So we work it around our schedule. So getting to Dundalk isn't really an option for us at times. You know, mm. we can make the eight o'clock, but then the other ladies and families work and go to work at that stage. So it really isn't. Like, this is my, my daughter has been on the bus. This is my ninth year applying for the bus in Anagassan, you know, and getting it. They went to the Louis and now my son goes to, our son goes to the Morris. So right, yeah. for me, it's really stressful. And for, I know everybody, there's lots of the families in the same situation. And it's not just, as you said, it's in the whole of the country. Mm. And I suppose it needs to be looked at. And they talked about giving us, you know, taking away some of our stress and by not charging the, the fee this year. Mm. And actually, it's made it more for us. I must say, I did, my heart sunk when I heard it. Mm. And my family members were saying, is that not good? And I goes, no, because I'm really worried now. I'm even more worried. Okay. Because we've had this worry year in, year out. Yeah. It's never a, a foregone conclusion. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. Darrow O'Brien was... Uh suggesting that there will be places uh, Jed Nash uh, who we're going to be speaking to in a, a few minutes time uh, has said uh, that uh, it's been uh, made clear to him that there won't be any places if you don't have a place you're not going to have it you're not going to get one uh, but just that's very you know that's very worrying Michael yeah. one thing is Mary has already said if people can figure out how is it all the children can get on the bus this morning yeah, and, well, on the bus. and if they don't get on the bus what you're, you're all driving behind the bus to Dundalk well, is it yeah, as a protest? Well we are going in to Dundalk to accompany the bus just to let them see what it will do this is our carbon footprint as well we don't want to do this you know I'm, I get the bus to Dublin I try everybody is trying their best okay. at the moment at this particular time and we don't want to be going in you know this is it's an eco as well we have to you know, make efforts to see an empty bus, to see an empty seat on the bus. Okay. And, and you're... Uh, you're in after it is so... It's upsetting and frustrating and it's very stressful. Okay. And you're appealing for help. Okay. And I implore and to say thanks to all the people that support us in Anagassan 
and on that group and to Mary and Jamie forever and to Paula yeah. and the people that are and for you for giving us the platform. Oh God, not at all. Thank We're you indeed. Grateful. Thank you Thank indeed. You Thanks much. very much. Daisy Matthews, Shamie Cosgrove and Mary Kennedy, three parents in uh, the Anagassan area uh, who don't have uh, seats uh, for their children on the school bus. And our thanks to, to Fine Gael Councillor Paula Butterley. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's hear from uh, the aforementioned uh, Jed Nash Labour Party TD for Loud and East Mead. And good morning to you, Jed, and thanks for joining us. Uh, you heard from Bus Aaron on Monday. What is it that they said to you? Yeah, well, we, we finally heard from uh, Bus Aaron on Monday. Uh, and fr- frankly, um, the uh, communication that they, they had with me and all public representatives across the North East was completely uh, unacceptable. Um, Unusually, uh, normally it's the case uh, at this time of the year. As Mary, Shamey and Daisy uh, quite, quite, quite clearly articulated, there are issues in relation to concessionary tickets, not not not, not necessarily el- eligible tickets. Those are eligible for for, for the scheme of concessionary tickets, and we deal with those. The system deals with that every year, and I get a handful of, of, of phone calls and emails from people uh, across Loudoun East Meads at that time of the year, and, and they generally get sorted out. Um, this year, uh, it's been a radically uh, different proposition, uh, and, and we know, Michael, that when a minister announces that uh, something is going to become free, then there is going to be increased demand. Uh, what the minister did not do uh, is forecast or anticipate what that demand would be uh, and, and then add the additional capacity that's required. And it seems to me now that there's a bit of a blame game going on. The minister seems to want to absolve herself of responsibility. Uh, she is not, um, she doesn't want to be held to account for the decisions she, t- she took and the announcement she made in a blaze of glory a couple of months ago. When you make a decision, uh, you've got to be accountable for the impact of that decision and you've got to prepare um, for that decision and, and, and prepare all of the necessary, uh, to prepare the ground essentially uh, to, to make sure that the decision that you take uh, is a good one uh, and that all of the different measures are in place. She didn't do that. Uh, but Bus Aaron, what, what really rankled with me and what's rankling with parents is the correspondence we got from uh, Bus Aaron uh, on Monday that made it very, very clear, uh, made, made two things very clear. Essentially, it suggested that if you don't have a ticket now, that it's very unlikely, most unlikely that you're going to get one. That's the first thing. And secondly, they made it very clear that, uh, and I quote directly from the communication, that uh, additional capacity is not being sought by Bus Aaron. Now, that, um, that, 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 that does not sit well with the commitment that the well, minister it's made. it's peculiar because we, 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 we heard from Bus Aaron on Tuesday. And they told us that they were working on providing additional, finding additional they've capacity said, to provide they've, seats. They've said, and I, I issued it with mm-hmm. a press thing mm-hmm. that I made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the, you, you, I hope you've seen it. Yes, yeah, they have it here in front of me. Additional yeah. capacity mm-hmm. is not being sought. Now, that contrasts mm-hmm. with the commitment made by the minister. So they're obviously at odds with one another. The minister appears to be possibly blaming Bus Aaron. Uh, Bus Aaron are saying they're not uh, uh, seeking additional capacity. And... The reality of that then is that children, Cullen, children in South Toronto, yeah. children in Anacast and children in Tower will be left without a bus. And it's not acceptable that the Minister will not present herself to the Rockless Education okay. Committee to be accountable for a decision that she took in a blaze of glory uh, just a couple of short There's months. a head-scratching twist in all of this, though. I mean, do we need additional capacity? Uh, does it mean that without additional capacity that there isn't space and that if you don't have a, a ticket you won't get a, a seat because all of the parents are saying there's empty seats on the buses. Correct and right. Mary and Shane and Daisy um, 
articulated that. Uh, they, they, they've identified that issue themselves. They're standing at bus stops. There's children are standing at bus stops. Some buses are, are, are taking children onto what are half-empty buses, and other bus drivers have decided that that's n- not a decision that they're prepared to take. And I, and I understand that because they don't make the decisions, and they're accountable to the uh, inspector, and there w- w- could very well be insurance issues, liability issues, and so on if, if something uh, if something uh, happened. So the reality is that, yes, I mean, and I'm getting those uh, communications from parents all the time, uh, that uh, parents now, now are, have the indignity of, of following buses. They're questioning bus drivers and questioning bus air and about capacity because it's very clear that those buses are, are some of them are, are half empty. And bus airman's response in the missive that they communicated to us on, on Monday appears to be that, well, it's, it's usually the case that often for the first couple of weeks of the school term, parents might decide to drop their children at school. They may have a ticket and may have decided not to use it. That's absolutely bizarre. Um, absolutely bizarre indeed. And okay, uh, but that, further interrogation. I, 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 don't, I don't doubt anything you're saying and I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know if we need uh, any more information from Bus Aaron other than what they've said to you but they have said that they'll update the statement and uh, reissue a statement to, to LMFM this morning and we hope to bring that to our, our listeners before the end of the programme. But well, um, The statement itself is causing huge yeah, anxiety yeah. to parents and it's unacceptable frankly that Bus Aaron have not responded to representations made by TDs, councillors, yeah. senators in the area. Uh, that's not how a public service should work, but yep. the responsibility with this lies squarely in the, the feet of the Minister for Education. Now, yeah. that might seem to be a political charge, but that, that's a fact. Um, we'll, we'll expect we'll expect the next statement from Bus Aaron to <laughs> confirm what you have just said, and then maybe we'll ask them why they didn't tell us that on Tuesday when they told you something different on Monday. Uh, altogether, it seems. Uh, whilst you're with us, Jed Nash, uh, I think uh, you have uh, some bad news for us about uh, jobs at Premier Periglaze. Well, nothing is confirmed, but uh, it's quite clear that from you know, communication with the um, trade unions over the last few days that the situation in terms of employment of Premier Pericles is looking uh, bleaker uh, by the day. Uh, it seems that a decision has been made in the context of the consultation that's taken place over the last month that uh, a very small number of jobs they propose would be retained. Uh, there's no coincidence in my view that uh, the reality is that as far as the shareholders have management are concerned that it is the union jobs at the plant that will be uh, on the line. Uh, you can draw your own conclusions from that in terms of what the company's um, future plans uh, are. Uh, for weeks now, I've been intensively engaged with uh, colleagues in the United Connect Trade Unions and with all of the workers and shop stewards and with Enterprise Ireland as well, Michael, the state uh, uh, Indigenous Enterprise uh, uh, body, to try to identify ways in which the company can be supported to retain as many jobs as possible during what is obviously a very, very difficult time in terms of gas prices. And, and, and the reality is, um, you know, but myself, the, the, the trade unions, the workers themselves have been incredibly constructive. I mean, this day last week, um, the chief executive of Enterprise Ireland and senior Enterprise Ireland staff and the trade unions uh, representing the workers and some of the shop stewards and workers actually met in my office and it was unprecedented for a state agency like Enterprise Ireland to meet a group of workers during a redundancy consultation because Enterprise Ireland themselves acknowledged that Unite and Connect and the workers themselves are trying really hard to identify ways in which the, the, the company could um, continue to have the optimum number of, 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 of workers uh, on their books 
at this difficult time. One of the things that became very, very clear was regardless of what kinds of supports towards energy bills uh, that the state could provide uh, to uh, an organisation like Premier Pericles, that what's, absent, what's actually absent here, Michael, is something I've been calling for for the last two years, and that's a, a permanent wage subsidy uh, scheme embedded into our labour market policy that actually could be dusted down and targeted at companies like this at a time of a crisis like this where you could keep people in employment for a period when a company's gone through a transition like this. And, and, and it's never been more important given what we're going to be facing this winter, our huge energy bills for companies. We need a form of a wage subsidy scheme like they have in Germany targeted at certain sectors of industry, uh, certain sectors of the economy to help them through this difficult period because there are companies that simply won't exist uh, when we get to the uh, end, end of this particular okay. uh, crisis. And, and, and the reality is, I'll say, I'll say two things. Mm. I don't believe that any state support should be provided to a company that is downsizing in this way, uh, a company that's, that, that appears to me to be not committed to maintaining the optimum uh, number of employees uh, at an organisation. And I think you know, Enterprise Ireland and other state organisations would need to reflect on that in the context of, of what may become clear over the next few days. And we need that type of furlough scheme in place to protect jobs because I think Premier Pericles okay. may very well be the canary in the coal mine over the next period okay. of time. But, but, bottom but, but, bottom line here though, Jed, just to, in, in uh, a minute or, or less, uh, there's only about 40 jobs left, a little over 40 jobs left at Premier Pericles. Everybody else has been laid off. Uh, uh, and what are we talking about here, bottom line? Over 30 of those jobs going? Yes, in a word. Okay. All right. Okay, hard times. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. No doubt we'll hear more about that uh, in uh, the coming days uh, as well. That's Labour Party TD for Louth and Eastmeath, Jed Nash. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, the challenge of getting to net zero as it's uh, defined by 2050 when it comes to carbon emissions is incredibly big. Uh, In order to take this road, there's three carbon budgets from 2021 to 25, from 26 to 30 and 31 to 35, which have been agreed in principle at this stage. The objective between 20 and 25, 21 and 25, is to reduce emissions by 4.8%, but uh, we've gone in the wrong direction uh, and apparently uh, we've uh, seen emissions increase uh, in the last year. Uh, by 5.4%. That's an increase of 5.4% instead of a a decrease of 4.8%. This is uh, according uh, to Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland. Let's speak to Lee Carroll, who's the programme manager for the Energy Statistics team with uh, the SEAI. And a very good morning to you, Lee, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme today. Was this at all uh, expected? Hi, Michael. Well, thanks for having me on. Um, So, it's great to be on the radio to talk about the uh, the balance which we've been uh, publishing for two decades and all about what it tells us. So you've been asking there about the, the carbon emissions and uh, as you pointed out, we've seen an increase of 5.8% in the energy-related emissions and that is, as you were saying, it's in the opposite direction to what our, our commitments to the, the 4.8% reduction out to 2025 require. So it really highlights that we're going in the wrong direction and that we urgently need to make a correction by using less energy and making more of the energy that we do use renewable. Okay, but was that increase expected? 
So some of the increase is a COVID rebound. So we saw an 8% increase in transport demand uh, as COVID restrictions uh, increased. And while that might be expected, it really just highlights that we need to have a, have a rethink and, and a, a modal shift about how we how we look at transport. So moving journeys where possible, you know, onto foot, onto bike or public transport and where that can't happen, happen trying to ensure that the vehicles we are using are electric vehicles rather than being dependent on fossil fuels. And 87% of our energy uh, is coming from fossil fuels, isn't it? 87% in total, but in transport, it's far, far worse. 95.5% of our energy demand from transport comes from fossil fuels. So it's really a sector that we urgently, urgently need to, to look at, again, by reducing demand on the energy by, by moving to public transport and, and hopping on the bike and where that isn't feasible by ensuring that we do transition over to electric vehicles quickly and, uh, and at, you know, at scale. Okay, I, I'm not sure uh, if there's been much change between uh, the first six months or nine months of this year uh, compared to last year, uh, but uh, if we were uh, running behind last year uh, and we... Uh, saw emissions increase by 5.4% instead of reduced by 4.8%. I take it there's an awful lot of work to be done by 2026. So that, that's exactly it. it. It's not as if missing a year is just, just a, a bad a bad result. It, it puts the pressure. The, the budgets outline the total that we need to reduce by 2025. So if we didn't reduce it in 2021, we need to make up that difference in every subsequent year. So every year we're not hitting our targets. It makes every subsequent year more difficult. Okay, so what do we have to do? So, I mean, there's a number of things that we can do, both at a, at a national and uh, personal level. So at a national level, we need to accelerate the deployment of renewable energies uh, at, a, at a rate we've never seen before in Ireland. And we urgently need to limit the use of fossil fuels in our homes, in our cars and in our uh, electricity generation stations. So the government is investing more and more money than ever before mm. in supporting homes and businesses. And we're seeing more people and companies taking up uh, those supports that are on offer. I could hear a few of the, the personal actions, if you... Yeah, 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 please. Yeah. So really, when we're at home, um, oh, sorry, when we're on the move, mm. rather, as I mentioned before, if we can shift short, short car journeys to walking and biking, mm. so 40% of all private car use in the country is used for journeys that are less than eight kilometres. And, and these are journeys that are, you know, you know could be ideally targeted by, by biking, by biking more or taking public transport. And I guess thinking, can I get where I need to go without a car? And can I make my, my next car an EV? Those are action, personal actions that we can take to reduce transport. And when we're at home, which again is a very significant uh, demand in total, about just, just over a quarter of all energy demand in the country comes from when we're at home. Mm. So again, just being mindful of your electricity and heating demand. So would you be safe and comfortable if you dialed the temperature down by one or two degrees have you serviced your boiler recently? That can really uh, improve the efficiency. Can you wash your clothes at a lower temperature? Uh, and, and some low-hanging fruit, like are you using LED light bulbs? Are you turning off appliances when they're not being used? Mm. And just kind of thinking into the future, you know, can I get a home energy upgrade to better insulate my home and use less energy, pay well, less bills? Well, well, t- how talk, do I make... Talk to us yeah. about that, Lee. Can, can I? Uh, or, or will I have to wait two and a half years? So, I mean, SEAI is doing everything it can to provide financial supports uh, to for, for home energy upgrades. And I think there was a, a program announced only yesterday on the on the training of, of new technical 
uh, technical staff to to carry out these home energy upgrades. So it, it's it's something that we're, we're actively working on. I mean, SEAI government is energised to make this, uh, pardon the pun, uh, to make this transition happen. And we're doing everything we can, rec- mm. recognising that there are challenges there. But this is really what we need to do. Uh, we, we need to make this energy transition. We need to, to, to move our, make our homes more efficient and to make our energy more renewable. Uh, are the grants designed in an all or nothing kind of way? Whilst there's grants for all sorts of things, you do far better if you go the whole way and do a complete retrofit and get heat pumps and all that sort of thing. And uh, I think uh, the figure uh, that is thrown around uh, a lot is that you could get grants of up to uh, €25,000, matching grants of up to €25,000. Uh, but would it not uh, be better if, if you could get matching grants for every single thing that you did individually? I think the, the, the grant structure just highlights the urgency of the need. I mean, we really need uh, houses across the country to be, to be significantly, um, you know, um, retrofitted or, or upgraded mm. to... Um, so we don't really have time, I think, to to, to dwell too much on, on this piecemeal um, improvement. Okay, I really but think pe- what people don't do have the money, yeah, and I, I think that's the, the 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 point that a lot of people have been making to me. Uh, if they could get their windows changed, let's say uh, their house would be far more energy efficient, uh, but they don't have ten or twenty thousand euro. Uh, and if uh, they could get match funding for that, that would help a, a lot. Uh, they don't have twenty five thousand euro to go the whole way with the complete retrofit. Well, that, that's a fair point. I, I have to say, I, I'm uh, not to try and sideline the question. Mm-hmm. I, I'm more of an energy st- no, no, statistician, no, no, no. so I, I'm, I'm better informed around the energy statistics. And my colleagues in SEAI on the delivery side would be better informed uh, to be able to speak around grants and what, what's available to, to different consumers. Sure, but I am talking about it in terms of what we can and cannot achieve. There are significant obstacles in the way, aren't there? And already the challenge uh, has increased in the last... 18 months. That's true, um, but as I said, there are actions we could do today and tomorrow. So even if the upgrading of a home is something that takes place, uh, you know, months or a year in the future, there are there are actions we can do today to reduce our energy demand in our homes. As I said, turning down the the temperature, servicing the boiler, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it, you know, running running your uh, washing machine at lower temperatures. These are all genuine activities that genuinely will reduce your energy consumption and the bills you're paying right now. Okay, very good. We leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Lee Carroll is the program manager for the energy statistics team with the SEAI, that's the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, the new Northern Secretary under Liz Truss's uh, leadership is Chris Heaton-Harris. Uh, Eurosceptic, as you've been hearing, but a staunch Brexiteer, uh, as undoubtedly you've heard as well. And what all of that means for the Northern Ireland Protocol ongoing discussion uh, is probably something that speaks for itself. Let's hear uh, what Mr Heaton Harris had to say when he was speaking earlier this year about the protocol. Last week, the Foreign Secretary and I both visited Belfast to hear firsthand about the impact the Northern Ireland Protocol is having on businesses and local communities. The protocol isn't delivering for them. It's upsetting the balance which underpins the Belfast Good Friday Agreement that all communities should feel respected and secure. And I explained this during very constructive meetings I held in Brussels on Thursday last week, and will continue to do so during my conversations with my European counterparts this week. 
That's because it is in all of our interest to reach a solution which protects peace and stability. We're committed to finding a breakthrough that works for all sides. Let's speak to Damien McGinnity, the coordinator for the Border Communities Against Brexit. Good morning to you, Damien, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Chris Heaton-Harris, uh, at the beginning of uh, the year, there speaking, saying he's committed, as is the British government, to finding a solution for all sides. How do you hear that? I think it's laughable. I think the last... You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Clip you played from him where he says all communities must be respected. Their head is buried in the sand. They're only listening to one community. Um, They have um, a mandate in the last uh, Assembly election where over nearly 60% of people here voted for political parties who support the protocol. You know, this is back to the future. Um, And, you know, I often laugh when people say, you know, Boris Johnson was only the worst Prime Minister up until now. Um, this new Prime Minister, Liz Truss, has stuffed her cabinet with ultra right wing Brexiteers. And I think this bodes very badly for uh, UK Irish relations and bodes very badly for any kind of a, a solution uh, under the terms of the protocol. I spoke to you recently and you were concerned at the prospect of Liz Truss becoming the Prime Minister. Uh, I take it from what you've just said, you're all the more concerned and all the more so because of the appointment of Chris Heaton-Harris. Yeah, you know, it's an unbelievable appointment. You know, anybody that stands back from this so slightly and looks at the, the mess that is northern politics as a result of, of, of Brexit and for to put into post, into that point position as Secretary of State, an ultra-right wing, a former chair of the European Research Group, the ERG, who, who wanted Boris Johnson to, to leave the European Union with a no-deal Brexit. This is the guy who, who, who's now in charge of overseeing um, the implementation of a protocol in Belfast. Mm. Look, at, uh, it, bodes very, it bodes very badly. So uh, what does that mean? Uh, do you think uh, that they'll pull the plug? Well, pull the plug in it. Well, it depends uh, on how far they're prepared to go. You know, we had Conor Burns in Dublin, who was uh, a Minister of State in the Northern Ireland office. He was in Dublin last week for meetings. He was in Bailieborough in Lakeland Dairies, and there was like a, an almost a conciliatory tone there about um, they wanted negotiations to resolve this. Um, our our um, politicians, and they can't say this forcefully enough need to be absolutely firm with the British government and firm uh, in the European Union that what these guys are looking for in terms of wrecking the protocol, introducing a dual regulatory regime is off the table. And uh, the EU and, and our member countries need to stand tall and say to the British government, if you proceed with this, there will be a trade war. And, you know, I think there needs to be a real realisation in Westminster 
that um, that this is not going to be tolerated. Not one bit of it. Yeah. Is the solution uh, an election, a British election? Well, perhaps. You know, I don't see, given the dire um, polling results that uh, are at the moment for the Tory party, that they will call an election. I think they will probably want to hold off as long as they can to try and turn around their, their failing economy. It's crashing before mm. them. They're going to have to borrow $150 billion for the next three months to cover energy bills. They probably will have to borrow a further $150 billion from January to March. And who wants to add uh, a, a trade war to that? And I suppose that could be our saving grace. Well, you see, th- th- this is it. And, and look, we have been saying this in BCAB for six or nine months. We've been saying it to Irish politicians. We've been saying it to, the, to people in the European Union that, that the Westminster needs to know that, that Europe are serious here. We have called for six or eight months for an early uh, explanation of what a 20% tariff would do in the UK car industry. We believe it would shut that industry. And that would really hurt the, this Tory government in the red wall seats that they won from the Labour Party, mm. where a lot, unfortunately, where a lot of those people work. And this is where we're headed. Okay. We've we see, we seen last night Brendan Boyle, he was on BBC News, a very influential um, Irish-American congressman, fully supportive of the protocol. The readout from the phone call that Liz Truss had with President Biden last night was that President Biden wants a negotiated settlement. People want to talk about this. Mm. The EU put proposals late last year that the that the British government haven't even acknowledged, which would resolve a lot of the concerns that exist around the protocol. And they've been thrown back in people's faces and they've put table this legislation that deliberately breaks the protocol and breaks international okay, but It seems to me, best case scenario even if uh, they don't dismantle the protocol or trigger Article 16 that they're going to drag this out forever and a day, we're going to have all this sabre rattling in between uh, but we'll have uh, this continued state of uncertainty and we'll continue to have uh, an executive and assembly that's not functioning in Northern Ireland it looks very like it, yes. I think the Assembly, um, you know, I'm very pessimistic about the future of that. I think that the game of the Tory party is to create a constant friction and almost a war with the European Union. It plays well to that right-wing Tory base, and that's what they're pinning their hopes on for re-election. OK, we have to leave it there for the moment, Damien. Thank you indeed for joining us. Damien McGinnity is a coordinator with Border Communities Against Brexit. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, the cost of living and energy bills are to the forefront of everybody's minds and uh, these issues have dominated uh, the annual think-in for the Social Democrats, uh, which is uh, taking place uh, this week. We're going to speak now to co-leader and co founder of the Social Democrats Roisin Shortall and a very good morning to you uh, Roisin and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Before we talk uh, about energy though could I ask you about a, a, another issue uh, kind of a, an historical issue that's going to be very big news today uh, and how Anglo-Irish Bank uh, or the Irish Bank Resolution Corporation as it became known wrote off 119 million euro of the 150 million euro that a company called SiteServe owned before selling that company to Dennis O'Brien. That was the subject of a commission of inquiry and the report uh, from that inquiry uh, looks set to be published 
possibly today, a much anticipated uh, report uh, after seven years waiting for it. Uh, Good morning, Michael. Yes, absolutely. This is a very important report. Uh, We've certainly been waiting for it for a long time. And you'll recall that it was Catherine Murphy, my colleague, who is the the person who raised this initially within the Dáil and called for the Commission of Inquiry. Um, It's hard to understand why the Commission has taken so long to do its work. Uh, They produced a number of uh, interim reports. But our understanding is that the final report is ready and is going before Cabinet today. And we look forward to Cabinet approving that for publication uh, later on today or very soon anyway. And uh, Catherine Murphy will be responding to that when it's published. Okay, I I think uh, there uh, be a a lot of of interest to say the least. And given some of uh, the comments uh, that the judge has already made publicly, uh, there's going to be many questions that will need to be answered. I think that probably goes without saying. Are are you surprised that nobody challenged uh, this report being published? Well, I think the fact that there were a number of interim reports provided opportunities for people along the way, and there was a lot of back and forth between the, the judge and the, the, between the commission and the individuals at the centre of this. But essentially, this is about you know deals being done behind closed doors mm. and the taxpayer ultimately picking up the tab on it. And, you know, there has to be accountability for that. This, unfortunately, it's too regular an, an occurrence in this country and we need to shine a light on that entire area and ensure that, you know, business is conducted uh, in an open manner and essentially that uh, taxpayers get value for money. It's part of uh, the story of uh, the collapse of uh, the economy and the banking crisis in this country. Uh, and uh, a crisis uh, that we look set to overcome despite uh, even the COVID crisis. But here we are facing into a a very cold and dark winter, it it seems. And as I said at the outset, energy really is a huge concern to people at this moment in time. Absolutely. I mean, we are actually dealing with the triple crisis and and they're the issues that we dealt with at at our thinking. You know, there's first of all the cost of living crisis and people have been feeling the pain of that for a very long time now. I mean, since the end of last year, uh, people witnessed prices going up on a whole range of issues across, you know, food, uh, housing, certainly, you know, very expensive, healthcare expensive, childcare, uh, and those prices going up. On top of that, of course, people are dealing with the huge problem of housing, whether you're trying to buy or you're you're renting Uh, rents are absolutely astronomical now at this stage for two bedroom uh, apartment you're talking about over 2000 in the greater dublin area and 1600 uh, around the country and for those people who are paying a mortgage we know of course that mortgage interest rates went up recently and they are likely to be going up again uh, when decisions are taken on this on friday but you know what has really come into sharp focus this year is the whole issue of energy and it, it's you know it, it started at the end of last year but then you know very much accepted Accelerated uh, with the invasion of Ukraine. And Europe is now on a knife edge in relation to energy. And we're so dependent on, on Russian gas. And of course, the whole energy market isn't functioning properly in Europe. The market is really broken. Um, and, it's, you know, there's huge issues there about soaring costs, but then also uh, some of the newer electricity producers coming in and making enormous profits. So to 
some extent that will be dealt with mm. at a European level, but that's likely to be slow. And the whole issue of you know windfall tax and mm. uh, price caps and all of that is being considered this week at European level. But what needs to happen, of course, here in terms of our government is that there needs to be a very strong and deep intervention by government because what we need to concentrate on and prioritise is protecting families and protecting businesses and jobs over the coming winter period because it's very difficult for people at the moment. We know there's a lot of people, almost half the population, are are in what is termed uh, energy poverty. And regrettably, that's likely to increase over the coming months as we see further price hikes. So people are in a very difficult circumstance, mm. circumstances and government needs to step up to the mark now and step in with very substantial supports to enable people to weather those very difficult months ahead. Okay. And, you know, we have to... Yesterday at our thinking, we were calling for the kind of deep and you know, urgent intervention that we saw in relation to COVID, for example, the same kind of response, because we can't wait around for a few months to see how this is going to develop, you know, or to develop new systems. What we need to do is ensure that we get cash supports to families, low and middle income families, who must be the priority, and get those supports to them as quickly as possible. But we also have to, of course, target supports at small businesses, because small businesses coming out of a very difficult couple of years with COVID are really on a knife edge also. And with overheads uh, increasing as a result of the the high cost of energy, you know, that we have to protect jobs. Okay. And, this is, this and is what you're absolutely essential that we protect the economy so that when we come out of this difficult period, the economy can bounce back and that we protect those jobs that are so essential. Uh, how does uh, your uh, proposal work in practice? This is what you're calling an energy crisis subsidy scheme, an ECSS. What's the difference between that and a 100 or 200 euro credit on our electricity bills? Okay, so what the government did earlier in the year, as you recall, was an across-the-board €200 Euro, uh, energy credit that they provided to everybody. Now, at the time, they said they weren't means-testing it because they wanted to get it out quickly. But, of course, it didn't get out quickly. It took five or six months for everybody to get that credit. But that credit of €200, Euro, it was helpful to a lot of families, but it also went to a lot of households that didn't actually need the money, people who are high earners. Uh, and I've you know, given this an example. Also, TDs, for example, government ministers, uh, and lots of people that are, are high earners in this country. And that's a waste of resources, in my view. You know, everybody's electricity bills are going up, but some people can absorb that more than others. Whereas, you know, at the lower end, there are families that are really in danger of going under unless they get substantial assistance. So it's not only the Social Democrats saying this, all of the main agencies, the ESRI, uh, the Fiscal Council, the Central Bank, they're all saying that that supports must be targeted at those who need the most. And that's low and middle income earners. So how do we do that? In our view, the best way of doing that is to take the same kind of approach that was taken with COVID. Uh, There are a number of schemes to support families, workers and businesses during COVID. And we're saying that the template is there to do that so that to get, you know, cash transfers to workers, 
the quickest and most efficient way of doing that is through their payroll systems in their place of work. Employers did this during COVID and we believe that employers can do this again now in this new emergency situation. Mm. And what happens there is that that workers, low and middle income workers, get that cash transfer in their pay packet and within a matter of days then the employer can claim that back from revenue. And revenue have the system set up to do that very quick response and and to repay employers when they pass on. Okay, and we'll only need this kind of support for uh, as long as the bills are as expensive as they are and if they don't get all the more expensive. Uh, But we see headlines in the Irish Independent today about the shock and awe of uh, the bills uh, which will force us to reduce uh, how much energy we use because we just won't be able to uh, afford those bills. We see the alone charity saying that already older people are turning their fridges off and they're not using their gas cookers in order to save energy. I see the HSE today uh, offering advice to older people to have at least one hot meal a day, to wear thermal underwear, to walk around. Uh, And if you're cold, go out and visit a library or a museum. It seems almost surreal uh, what we're going into this winter. Uh, But the cost of generating electricity Uh, seems to be much cheaper than what we're being charged because it's linked to the price of gas internationally. Uh, Is there much hope that the energy ministers from uh, across Europe meeting this week will be able to do something about that? It's it's a complex thing. It's very complex, actually, Michael. And, you know, you don't want to cause unintended consequences. And some energy companies, uh, particularly those that are uh, working in the clean energy sector, they're making enormous profits because their energy generation, their electricity generation is not linked to gas. Um, so even though their costs are very low, they're making huge profits. And there is a need to address that. Uh, at another level then, in relation to those companies that are dependent on gas, obviously gas prices have been soaring uh, as a result of the actions by, by, by Russia. Um, and it, you need to balance that so that, you know, so that you actually are targeting the companies that you want to target. And and that's quite a complex thing to do. There needs to be some level of windfall tax, in my view, but it's not simple or straightforward. And, of course, the other thing is that we have to bear in mind here is that whatever is decided at EU level, um, we get about 70% of our gas through the UK. So probably what is more relevant to us is the actions that the new Prime Minister, Liz Truss, will be taking over the coming weeks in relation to the situation in the UK. Um, so you know, there are a whole lot of things going on there in the background. But the most important thing, as I say, that the government here needs to do is to ensure that those older people, people on low incomes, people especially with children, uh, and people who are under enormous pressure at the moment and who were under enormous pressure over the past year or so, who, who are finding themselves in situations where they have to make awful decisions between, you know, heating their homes and feeding their children or feeding themselves. And there are there's a huge number of families that are in those circumstances now, regrettably. And we need to get financial supports to those families as quickly as possible, because it is about putting in place that kind of safety net to protect you know, as many people as possible over what are going to be very difficult months over the summer, or excuse me, over the winter. Mm -hmm. And of course, the other point I make is that we must concentrate also on protecting jobs. 
because we don't want to find the economy further damaged when we come out of this period. And, you know, let's hope that we do come out of it uh, over the over the winter period. But that's not guaranteed because of the fact that the energy market is so dysfunctional, it's so volatile. And ultimately, I mean, the big challenge for us is to find secure and clean sources of energy. And we need to really up our game in this country. Mm. Government has been slow in relation to that. Um, and we need to do much more in terms of investment, investing in both solar energy and uh, offshore wind ener- energy. And part and parcel of that kind of approach also is, of course, government ensuring that there are proper grants available for retrofitting homes and for making our homes as comfortable and, and uh, as, as warm as possible without uh, big outlays uh, on fossil fuels. Roisin Shorthall, thank you very much indeed uh, for taking the time to speak to us today. Roisin Shorthall is co-leader and co-founder of the Social Democrats. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, if you're renting somewhere to live, uh, you uh, may know your rights. Uh, You may not know your rights, uh, but you probably have more rights than you realise. Threshold offers free, independent, confidential advice to anyone who has any problems with a tenancy and they've launched a Own Your Rights campaign. Let's speak to the CEO, John Mark McCafferty. Good morning to you, John Mark, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. You've launched this, as we've been hearing, uh, because you've heard from so many people who are running into trouble. Michael, we launched, yeah, we, we, we launched a, a survey of 500 renters um, aged between 18 and 55, and um, the number of things came up from that. Um, almost half had their, a landlord withhold their security deposit unfairly, and that's up since last year. Um, uh, almost three quarters say it's common to have problems with mould or damp in their homes, which is a, a big increase from last year. And um, over a quarter have experienced un, an unfair eviction. Um, this is uh, self-reporting. Um, and there, there are other findings, for example, a third of renters in Ireland spending 50% of their or more of their income on rent, especially people on, on lower and fixed incomes. So um, we are launching the Own Your Rights campaign uh, this year mm. in that backdrop of um, of high and increased rents, as, as you and I have spoke about before, and uh, just an, an abject lack of, um, of options in the private rental sector just due to a lack of, of housing um, in, that, in the sector and, and housing generally. Okay. And as we see, um, uh, you know, with, with COVID and you know landlords not being able to go into to homes, and then uh, the backup, the backup in um, or the backlog rather in kind of uh, uh, tradespeople trying to get jobs done, the increase in cost of labour and materials, things like that have all exacerbated the um, the standards and repairs issues in the private rented sector. So the idea behind the Own Your Rights campaign is to remind people, and um, you know yourselves and LMFM are a great do a great job in assisting us to remind people of the of the rights and the existence of yeah. threshold, but um, you know wider. Some people don't know, and, and a lot of private rented renters don't necessarily know know that we exist as, as a charity for for the private rented sector for for renters and their families, yeah. and that we can assist and advise with their with their rights. Okay, let's do the test, will we? Um, okay. Because you have got a, a test on uh, your website, uh, yeah. and it, it might surprise people uh, what they're entitled to. Uh, the first question uh, is: uh, Are you entitled to heating in every room? 
uh, a microwave, access to a dryer if you don't have a, a line in a, a garden for drying or a, a garden uh, and windows in every habitable room. Uh, are you entitled to all of them? You're entitled to all of them, but I, I would invite people to, to, to do the test themselves. But yes, yes, you're right. You are entitled to all of them. So there, there are um, uh, standards that apply to across all of the private rented sector. Um, and, and people are entitled to all of those mm. things that you mentioned there. Like so, so you should have a, a, a microwave. If you don't have a, a microwave or if you don't have a, a garden, you should have a, a dryer. Maybe people don't know that. You should have a, a, a tenancy lease agreement as well. Absolutely, yeah. And um, if you don't have a lease agreement, it doesn't mean that your tenancy is invalid, uh, but it, it can be more, more or difficult or, or kind of more time-consuming mm. um, to have... Um, to try and kind of pursue um, representation through the Residential Tenancies Board if you have a dispute. Okay, uh, you can't be evicted by the landlord who says, I need you out by the end of the month. Uh, there's a process the landlord has to go through. Absolutely, and again, it, the notice period that you're um, allowed, it depends on how long you've been in the uh, uh, in the tenancy. So for a tenancy less than six months, notice to quit period is increased from 28 days to 90 days. And for a tenancy for more than six months but less than a year, the notice uh, to quit period has increased from 90 days to 152 days. Okay. Um, yeah, so and, and, and it increases then the longer you're there. So three year, you know, if you're there for one year but less than three years, the notice to quit period has increased from 120 days to 180 days. So right. um, mm. those things have all improved. Now, th- that's all very well and good, but there's so few houses on the market that's okay. much more difficult to find alternative accommodation during your notice quit period. Okay, you're talking about up to six months notice there, I think. Uh, can a landlord ask for a six-month deposit? No, they can't. And we, we did come across situations where uh, landlords were asking for, you know, two months or a multiple of that, six months, whatever. Um, a, a landlord now in, in, in legislation can only ask for one month deposit. Mm, okay, and uh, a lot of people uh, struggling to meet the cost of renting. It's about 1500 locally, about 2000 uh, in Dublin on, on average, they say. Uh, so if that's uh, too much for people to stretch to, is there help at hand or are some of these schemes like HAP only available to people who are unemployed? Um, so HAP is available to people who, who work as well. There's a, there is an income limit, but um, you can uh, get HAP if you're, if you're working. And that's one of the fundamental differences between HAP and the rent supplement. The rent supplement created um, a poverty trap because you lost that supplement when you started working, even if that work was quite modest in terms of income. The the good thing about the housing assistance payment is that you can be working, it's, you know, it is employment friendly um, and you can work and you can build up your hours, you can build up your income and you can still be eligible for the housing assistance payment. So mm. that is one of the plus points with regard to HAP. Okay, so the cost of everything is going up. Can my landlord come to me and say they're putting the rent up by 4, 6 or 10%? Well, Unfortunately, if you're living outside of a rent pressure zone, and that's now more in kind of very rural areas, um, uh, landlords can increase uh, by more than 2%, but they have to show evidence of um, market rates um, in, in the local area. Um, but if you're in a rent pressure zone, and remember the vast majority now of tenants and tenancies and private rented properties are covered under the rent pressure zone legislation, that's a 2% per annum max increase. Okay, uh, and if you are renting, are, are you living um, sort of uh, in the hope uh, that the landlord doesn't 
change his mind uh, and decide that he would prefer somebody else there? Can he just evict you without uh, a reason? Um, it, now, generally speaking, no, but um, there, it depends on um, when your, your tenancy was taken, was, uh, commenced. And there is a small technicality around, uh, um, you know, if you reach the end of a thing called a part four tenancy, if you did that, you know, more than about six or nine months ago, um, you may still be able to, uh, the tenancy may, may still be able to end. Um, but for everyone who's starting a tenancy now, your landlord cannot um, evict you for no uh, for no reason. A reason needs to be given. Now, some of those reasons, as we know, are uh, through no fault of, of the tenant. It could be that the, the landlord is selling the property, and there are, there are a lot of landlords selling properties now, and that tenancy, unfortunately, um, can end uh, according to the legislation. The, the landlord can sell the property, and the tenant and their family could be out of home and could be homeless. Um, but generally speaking, in terms of uh, this, this idea of um, arbitrarily kind of calling time on the tenancy, that's that's not possible. There are, however, a number of grounds on which a landlord can uh, end the tenancy through no fault of the of the tenant. Okay, well. That's uh, the questions uh, and perhaps uh, the answers were of surprise uh, to some people uh, but there's lots of questions uh, that people can have answered by you, John Mark. Indeed, yeah, and, and by our, our very talented advisors who know an awful lot more about the Residential Tenancies Act than I do um, because they are trained in the Residential Tenancies Act and they advise um, the detail um, and the, the advice in a very tailored way for, for private renters and their families across the country through our uh, free phone number 1800 454 454 that's 1800 454 454 through our brand new uh, website which is much more intuitive and, and, and much more designed with uh, the view to the, the, you know, mm. the, the renter kind of pa- trying to find their information that threshold we retain the web chat facility for people that's from 9.30 till 5 Monday okay. to Friday free mm. phone numbers 9 till 9 Monday to Friday mm. uh, and, and we can also um, meet people by video call through through the website. Okay, it is a, an excellent service for anybody who's renting. John Mark, thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, you, this morning. John Mark McCarthy is uh, the CEO of Threshold. Michael Reed on LMFM. The Federation of Early Childhood Providers offers about a third of childcare to 55,000 children and their families across the country. And in the budget coming up in the next three weeks or so, they're looking for an additional 191 million euro in funding for the sector. Let's speak to Elaine Dunn, who's chairperson for the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. Good morning to you once again, Elaine, and thanks uh, for joining us again on uh, the programme. That's an awful lot of money. What, what, what do you want that to be spent on? So we're looking for um, the extra services to be, um, that capitation to be raised up um, every single year for children, starting from this year moving forward. As everybody knows, these services are ones that are, at the moment, getting ready to close the doors permanently come next year if something isn't done for them. So, uh, so we're looking for 80 million for that part of the sector. Then you have children who come in to our services with additional needs. So at the moment, if they're in the service for eight hours a day, they actually only get three hours um, help um, through government. Whereas we actually need somebody with these children for eight hours a day for as long as the child is within the service. So we only get funded for three hours. So then 
the extra support is gone after three hours and the child is left then mm. with us struggling to meet their needs sometimes within the service, okay? Okay. So we're looking for that. We are looking for commercial advice to be absolutely abolished at this stage because that would really help a lot of the services to move forward. If you look at ECC services that open for three hours, fully government funded, as it stands at the moment, they don't pay commercial rates. But if they change their service by a half an hour or an hour, then they have to pay commercial rates. And government funding wouldn't cover those commercial rates as it stands at the moment. Okay. Uh, you, you also want to attract more people uh, to work in the industry. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, look, this country has changed completely. There's a huge diversity in the country now. We would love to see more males coming in and people from different countries with qualifications, you know, coming in as well and working with us. It would be amazing. Um, but at the moment, there is no study done on us. Uh, so we would like a study to be done to see how it would work if, a whole other, if we got men to come in and work in our sector and the wages were a lot higher for all of us. Okay. Yeah, and I, I take it that that's part of the reason why turnover is at 19% uh, because of low pay. It is, but the history has been made today. I'm not sure whether you've seen the press release. Um, so the employment regulation order was signed off on today and would be uh, coming into effect on the 15th of September. So that is a huge thing to happen in our sector. I'm quite excited about it. Um, because it's amazing, it will help us to retain staff within the sector. There's now a, a rate of pay for the staff within the, the businesses now, which is absolutely amazing. It is very much welcomed by the sector, um, and it's, it's a great move. It's, it's a really, really good day for all of the employees uh, in this sector. Absolutely. No, I haven't seen it. So I take it that means uh, there's a, a minimum rate of pay specifically for the sector? Absolutely. So the minimum rate of pay will be 13 euros wow. starting okay. point. Yes, which is it's a, it's fantastic. Yeah, uh, and above what's called uh, the living wage. So that the will living be living wage. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and will providers be able to pay that sort of money? So here's where there is an anomaly, and this is where uh, we were calling for the 191 million extra to be pumped in. Is because we I don't know whether you're aware. I think I was on actually talking to you about our yeah. protests and stuff actually. That's right. And we've been looking and calling for an extra um, seven euros per child raise in capitation, which will bring the capitation for the children 76 euros per child within the ECCE services. Okay, this will cost government 30 million. And as of from today, now that the euro is now being signed off on, we now must insist that this is put into the sector by the 15th of September to ensure that these small service providers can afford to pay those rates of pay. Because they are my biggest worry, is that they will struggle to pay those rates of pay. And it is a huge concern. It has always been a huge concern for the Federation. We've been saying this since last May, and we've had meetings after meetings after meetings with government. I'm now going to ask for another meeting with Michael McGrath, uh, as an emergency measure at this point for yeah. these services and for those employees within those services. Okay, all right. Well, changing times uh, and you've made your submission. You've obviously got a, a lot of very busy, very young people behind you, Elaine. <laughs> I have indeed. I am still, I do still work in the classroom with a wonderful bunch of little people who uh, make me smile every day, thankfully. 
it's the best part of the job, <laughs> to be honest. Okay, well, nice to hear young voices behind you. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Elaine Dunn, Chairperson of uh, the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. Now, let's get to some of the comments. There's been a lot of people in touch. Apologies uh, for the delay in bringing your comment uh, if I haven't come to you yet. Margaret uh, says, with regards to climate change advice given in the past by experts, drive diesel cars. We did. The experts got it wrong. Get solar panels. We did. We were told we'd have hot water all year round. Uh, we have it when the sun shines. Again, they got it wrong. As for EVs, electric vehicles, there's not one word from any of our elected, rep, elected reps on the unethical way the lithium is mined by child slavery in the Congo. What have they to say about these young children? Do we go green while they suffer? You'll excuse us for not taking further advice from these experts, says Margaret. Thank you, Margaret. Betty Daly says, Michael, aren't the TDs great at advising us on how to manage our social welfare of €230 and have to pay rent out of that, buy our fuel and pay for our groceries and our electricity? A a TD would spend that amount on their lunch, she says. Got to be an interesting lunch, Betty, but I I, I think I understand the point. Uh, Somebody else uh, in touch uh, saying, can you ask Threshold about people who squat in houses and pay no rent? Yeah, well, that can be a a real problem, and there's no doubt. I I take it uh, that uh, there's uh, other organisations rather than Threshold, which advises tenants uh, and uh, would hopefully be advising people who are paying their rent. But it is a a real problem, uh, and I'm not sure if the rights are balanced in the right sense for people who have uh, their properties squatted by other people. Thanks uh, for making that call to the programme too. Uh, Another text uh, then uh, from somebody who says, my sister earns more money because she works 12-hour night shifts. And according to Roisin Shorthall, she shouldn't be getting that €200 credit. She should be punished for not being lazy. Bravo. Give everything to those who don't want to work and take away from those who work hard. Pure communism, says our caller. Not at all impressed. Somebody else says, oh my God, stop blaming the war in Ukraine and Russia for our government being greedy and trebling the price on everything. <laughs> I, I don't think that's the case. I, I think that there's a, there's a little problem with gas coming uh, from Russia at the moment. Uh, they've turned off that Nord Stream. When it's turned back on again, I don't know, but it won't be quick enough. That's if ever they do, because the price of gas is going through the roof as a result, and that's linked to the price of the generation of electricity or the supply of electricity. Somebody else uh, in touch with this better interview with uh, the SEAI earlier saying, how do they think people can afford to buy electric cars when the price of everything is just going up? Um, everything has trebled in the last month Uh, plus they want us to cut back on electricity use how are people going to charge these so-called electric toys or electric cars I think is what the caller means Um, we'd somebody else in touch following uh, on from Jed Nash Labour TD on the programme talking 
about uh, the school transport problems that people are experiencing, asking why didn't uh, Deputy Nash sort that out when he was in government, when he was a super junior minister. This has been going on for years. That's Matthew in Drogheda uh, who says that. Uh, we'd uh, somebody else then saying my son is in sixth year and himself and his siblings always got the bus from Anagasim. Uh This year we've been told there's no seat for him. Uh, so uh, he and his siblings uh, used to get the bus from uh, Anagasin. The kids from Anagasin, uh have been getting a school bus for uh, 50 years. All these cars travelling into Dundalk to bring their children to school. What does Minister Ryan think about this and the obvious increase uh, that there are to CO2 emissions? Thank you indeed uh, for that. We leave it there with a lot of people in touch from Anagassan today and great to hear from everybody. Sorry to hear the situation you're in. Maybe today's programme will make some difference. God knows, but that's where we leave you for today and God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.